Blog Talk Radio. known on Twitter as Mets Killing Me, and you are listening to the Metsian Podcast with Sam, Rich, and Mike. And tonight, um, we're going to try to, let's face it, let's be honest, we're going to try to give everybody a distraction from what's going on in the world and, and talk a little bit of baseball, and sure, some of that conversation will be about how much we're missing baseball because of the things that are happening right now. Uh, but we hope that this will provide everybody with an hour or so of um, of diversion, and maybe we can get our minds on something else. So in order to help me do that, I've got a couple of very esteemed people with me this evening. First of all, one of the co-conspirators of the Metzian podcast with Sam Rich and Mike, hailing from the wonderful borough of Brooklyn, Mr. Mike LeColent. So, Mike, how does March 29th, 2020 find you this evening? One of the weirdest days and and weeks and times of my life. How's that? Weird. Can't find a different word to describe it. Uh, But on a a happier note, you know, I must say that I'm I'm relatively, if not satisfied with the way people, at least in my neighborhood and and neighboring neighborhoods, are dealing with this. Uh, Everyone seems to be compliant, so that's good news. That is good news. And our other co-conspirator, Sam Maxwell, we hope to have a little bit later on. Sam has a, a conflict this evening. But we do have another voice to share tonight, and it's a voice that um, is not new to this, the Metsian podcast with Sam Rich and Mike, uh, not new to really anyone if you're a Mets fan and at all on social media. Uh, Mr. Greg Prince, who is joining us tonight, that's a name that you know, someone you've heard, perhaps you've read his books. Greg is an accomplished author. He is one of the uh, one of the um, main writers and one of the owners, I would so to speak, if I could use that term, of Faith in Fear and Flushing. So we're more than happy to welcome Mr. Greg Prince tonight. Greg, uh, please tell us how you are, how you're holding up, and a little bit about yourself, and you know where we could find your books, the titles of your books, and, and more about Faith in Fear and Flushing, if you could. Uh, aloha, everybody. Um... Well, uh, in context, I'm doing great in that the Mets are undefeated in 2020. They are on a three-game winning streak, five out of the last six from 2019. And if we don't delve any further than that into uh, the state of things, uh, sounds wonderful, doesn't it? But um, otherwise, I'm doing okay. Uh, my wife's doing okay. My cat's doing okay. And that's, you know, to me, is the important thing. Um you know, to uh, echo what Mike said about Brooklyn, uh, here in Nassau County, at least my little corner of it, uh, people seem to be behaving themselves. No uh, no street festivals or anything, uh, very few cars going by. And, uh, you know, as, as far as the rest of the world, all we can do is, is hope, do our, our little part uh, of, of staying away from people. And as far as baseball is concerned, uh, you know, we can... <laughs> 
we can look backward and uh which which is where I like to to look anyway and uh you know look, look ahead in the vague low visibility distance and uh you know just deal with the fact that uh you know here in the middle of things we don't uh we don't have any games right now we were supposed to have had three of them give, give or take would probably would have been a rain out yesterday but uh that ain't happening so uh, all we can do is try to take care of each other take care of ourselves and stay safe so well said, Greg. And um, and if you could give us a little bit on Faith and Fear and Flushing, what that's all about, oh, sure. and, and uh, some of your books and all of that. Sure. Uh, I write along with my friend and partner of 15 years, a blog called Faith and Fear and Flushing, which can be found at faithandfearandflushing.com. We call it a blog for Mets fans who like to read. We started it in 2005 with the idea that uh, we like to write about the Mets, so maybe you'll like to read about it. And we've been at it ever since. Uh, from from that blog, uh, I've written four books, uh, the most recent of which is called Piazza, uh, Catcher, Slugger, Icon, Star. I think that's what I think that was the sub, sub that came out uh, three years ago now. Uh, book called Amazing, again, about the 2015 Mets that came out the year before that. A book called The Happiest Recap about uh, some of the greatest games in Mets history from their, their first uh, wave of history, 62 to 73. And uh, a memoir called uh, Faith and Fear and Flushing, uh, much like the blog, an intense personal history of the New York Mets, uh, essentially what, what it's like uh, to be a Mets fan in this world, uh, certainly from the time I discovered them in 1969 uh, to about 2009, which was when the book first came out, which conveniently coincided with the, the switch uh, in our lives from Shea Stadium to City Field. If you uh, come across the paperback version, it came out a year later, so there's a little bit on City Field, but uh, mostly uh, it's about, well, you know, it's about those 40 years uh, up to the end of Shea. So if anybody wants to... Uh, to, to to order those books, uh, either from a uh, you know from wherever you can find them. I know uh, I should be uh, uh, encouraging you to look look at independent bookstores uh, who have that uh, sort of business going online. Please do. If you want to look somewhere else, uh, that, that's up to you. Uh, I'd certainly appreciate. I certainly appreciate you coming to read uh, Faith and Fear and Flushing, uh, which we're trying to uh, keep going with new content every couple of days. Uh, probably ramp up a little bit between Jason and me. You know, during the off season, we're kind of in and out of there. Uh, during the season, we would have been there every night or every morning after uh, to talk about the games that were played. But we have a uh, <clears throat> excuse me, we have a 15-year archive. Uh, if so, if you want to relive Mets baseball from 2005 forward, if you want to relive the uh, glorious regular season of 2006, uh, the glorious regular season. Of 2015, the uh, incredible ending of 2016, for that matter, uh, the the spike in Met fortunes uh, that defined uh, late July, August, and September of 2019. If you are courageous and, and want to remember what it was like to, uh, to to hang with this team in September of 2007 and September of 2008, and to kind of have that feeling again of what it was like to step inside City Field for the first time in uh, March and April of 2009. If you want to remember what Harvey Day was like, if you want to re- remember what it was like when Jose Reyes was going for a batting title, what it was like when Ari Dickey was, was winning his 20th game, 
what it was like to, to watch David Wright's career rise and descend and finally come come to a loving end. Um, you want to relive all 53 of Pete Alonso's home runs from last year. Uh, brothers and sisters, we have an archive for you, so uh, please visit faithandfearandflushing.com. We'll be adding new stuff as we go along, but we have a lot in there. And uh, just so you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not promoting this to, uh, to make a dime. We don't, we don't have any advertising. We, we don't uh, exist on any kind of level where clicks uh, get us anywhere. We just like to write and we like you to read. So, Rich, I, uh, I thank you for asking. And I, I wasn't going to give it that long an advertisement, but I was just thinking that there's you know, 15 years, which is roughly a quarter of, of the Mets franchise history in that blog not to mention all the stuff we do reflecting on everything since 1962. So if you if you find yourself saying, God, I'd like to read something about the Mets today, well, faithandfearandflushing.com, go through it. You'll enjoy yourselves. Well, and I think while Faith and Fear and Flushing is always a great read and your books are always a great read, that they're probably even a bit more timely and a bit more needed right now. And that's where I'd like to start. And, Greg, I'll go to you first on this one. So, as you alluded to, if I told you on, let's say it was March 1st, I think that was a Sunday, we all watched the Mets, you know, from Florida, and if I told you, oh, we're doing a podcast, Greg, on March 29th, we'd love to have you on the air, you'd probably say, oh, if I'm available, I'd love to join you guys, great, fine. We would have thought that we'd be talking about, are the Mets 0-3, 1-2, and 2-1, that kind of thing, the first three games, how's Luis Rojas doing as manager, you know, how's that going? Um, any key observations? Uh, what was it like on opening day? Were you at the ballpark? None of that happened, though. We're sitting here in, you know, bizarro world on the 29th of March. The games are not being played. So my question, Greg, and Mike, second to you, will be what exactly did it feel like for you on Thursday? Did, did, was it like, oh, I knew this was coming, this way of the world right now, okay? Or did it really – did you really feel a gap? Like, did it really hit you on Thursday? What's going on? So, Greg, where was your head on Thursday about missing baseball, and where's your head right now with it? Well, I, I think the difference between this and maybe some other years where the season was postponed or interrupted, so this isn't a baseball-intensive situation. I mean, we feel it as baseball fans because we are baseball fans, but there's, it's not a baseball strike. It's not our one of bad weather. This is everything. So within that context, you know, this is a, you know, victim is too strong a word, but, you know, this is something that got swept aside with everything else. Uh, You know, there is whatever else was scheduled in the world on March 26th also wasn't happening. So it's hard to get too caught up in the idea that, oh, dear, they took our opening day away. That, That said, I and I think all of us were super conscious of the fact that it was supposed to be opening day, putting aside the fact that March 26th is an insanely early time to be scheduled opening day in in the best of circumstances, certainly in New York, certainly in the Northeast and and other places that don't have domes and warm weather. But, uh, you know, I I think this, this was a nice example of all of us, you know, implicitly kind of pulling together uh, whether it was the fact that on SNY and on the Major League Baseball Network and on a couple of other channels, there were plenty of previous games, previous opening days, um, pre- lots of 
baseball talk online, lots of, hey, everybody, here's a, here's a picture of what I was going to wear today, the city field, that sort of thing, a lot of stratomatic, that sort of thing. You know, some of it probably more effective than others, depending on your mood. But it was nice to kind of be in that headspace for one day that, you know, this, this is still, at least on paper and at least in our hearts, you know, kind of a baseball holiday that we all, you know, come back around to like the Swallows to Capistrano or in February, the Swallows to Port St. Lucie. So, you know, it, it was nice for one day to kind of have a, an interruption from the void in general and from not being glued to reading and hearing only the dreary news that is impacting all of us one way or another. You know, the day after is the day after. And, you know, the Mets don't play the day after when they open it home because they save it for bad weather. And then it kind of begins to sink in again as, you know, the first weekend went by the board of what was supposed to be uh, the baseball season. And now the first week, and then once we start getting into April and we start getting into legitimate baseball weather, it'll probably be just a little more weird. Although I have to say, you know, because everything is weird right now, everything is off, um, the rhythms and the rituals, you know, aren't going to be missed, I think, the same way. Just, just as a, a slight example, and then I will cede the floor to Mike, um, right before it was announced that uh, MLB was going to be suspended, and for that matter, before, you know, in, in general, the work-from-home orders went out to everybody, I was going out about 6 o'clock, you know, this is after daylight savings time had come in, and I was thinking it was a relatively warm night for the middle of March, and it felt like the moment where if the season were underway, I'd be putting WCBS on in my car, and I'd be listening to what kind of passes for their pre-pregame show. WCBS being an all-news station doesn't really bother with one, but they try to mess it up a little bit for half an hour before passing it off to uh, to Wayne Randazzo in the actual pregame show. And, and just every... Every weeknight last year, it seemed I would go to pick my wife up at the uh, LIR station here, and I'd have WCBS on, and I'd let her know what was going on with the Mets. She's not that big a fan, to be honest, but, you know, I, I just liked having somebody to, to report uh, on the uh, the latest doings in Mets land, and she'd sort of nod along, and uh, if it was something big enough, it would get her attention. If not, you know, we would just talk about something else eventually. It's not a very long ride home, but it was just part of what we do. And part of what I would do then when we come up the, you know, come into uh, our living room is quickly turn on the television and turn on SNY. And pretty soon it would be on the pregame show at 630. And there'd be Steve Gelbs from City Field or, you know, who, Gary Apple from the studio or whatever. And you know, I wouldn't necessarily pay attention to anything they, they were telling me because I probably had already heard about it earlier in the day. But it was just part of the atmosphere. And part of the build up to 710, whatever I was doing, if I was putting dinner together, if I was just sitting down and uh, Stephanie was putting dinner together. Um, how, how, however, you know, the things that you go about in the course of an evening and, and knowing that the first pitch was coming and knowing that at seven o'clock, you know, Gary Cohn would do, would do the stand up and have Keith and or Ron standing next to him and, you know, telling again, telling you things you already knew, but you liked hearing it again and again. And then, of course, at 7.10, the first pitch, and I'd be probably sitting down with, with one eye on the television, one eye on my iPad, and 
saying something uh, unhelpful about the first thing that went wrong in tonight's game and and then kind of waiting for for things to change as they sometimes did in the course of the night and saying, you know, hey, this was a great thing that just happened. And, you know, as, as we all do we, when we're available to do it, we watch the game, we listen to the game, we go back and forth on social media about the game, and then when it's over, and depending how much of the post-game show I would watch, you know, I, I, if it was my turn to do the, the recap on Faith and Fear, I'd, I'd either fall asleep <laughs> or I would come upstairs and uh, and get on writing it and I would post it. And, you know, the next morning would be talking about it again with people online or, you know, once in a great while face-to-face and, you know, making that that transition in the course of a day from last night's game to tonight's game. And I was going to be doing that, you know, 160 more times, you know, depending on, you know, where I was going, what I was doing, where I was distracted, uh, how much time I had. Uh, that's, you know, as Mets fans, that's our lives. We, we work, we, we work the rest of our lives in and around Mets games. And, you know, we're not doing that now. So we're, we're, we're not doing lots of things we'd either rather be doing or we're just used to doing and kind of feel like we ought to be doing. So this is, yeah, un, uncharted territory. And we're all in it together, which I, I guess makes it a little bit better. It's not, again, it's not like this is being done to the Mets or to baseball. It's not like, hey, the Rockies and Diamondbacks get to play, but the Mets and Nationals don't or anything like that. So, um, you know, do I, <laughs> did I miss it on opening day? Yeah. Uh, will will I miss it next Thursday when it's you know just another Thursday and I don't even know if they were uh, scheduled to play on on the actually I'm just looking at a, a magnetic schedule I was given at the end of last year yes they were supposed to be in Washington for their home opener so uh, I'll miss it then I'll miss it every night I suppose and um, maybe it'll knock wood it'll just be that much better when it comes back well. Good context, Greg. You know that the difference, right, is that it's not just baseball. It's not just the Mets. It's um, it's something that's impacting life, all of life. And I you could prove it by the fact we're seldom leaving our homes these days. So, Mike, um, how did it feel to you on Thursday? How did it feel to you this weekend? And what are you doing to fill the gap? I mean, are you trying to plug in other activities? Trying to think about other sports? How's it going for Mike with uh, with the world basically being on hold? Well, my advice would be busy hands or happy hands. Use this time creatively. Uh, you know, uh, catch up on things that you put on the back burner or or find new and interesting things to do and uh, creative ways to go about it. We have time on our, on our hands. Uh, precious, you know, and this is... Uh, I'll, to, to, to steal a Michael K. phrase, you know, we have to step out of the candy store and into real life. And, you know, things like this, every so often they come around and they realign our priorities and, and get them back in line. And when we get on the other side of this, uh, I hope people stay the course. You know what I mean? Uh, we've always had incidences and episodes along the way that, you know, really shake you to your core and or, you know, fundamentally change the way you live. Uh, you can go back to, I mean, and this is if you've lived long enough. Rich, before the show, I said to you, you know, 
you live long enough, you start seeing things that you never thought you'd see. And if you're old enough, you remember the oil crisis and the gas shortages. And the way they did it back then is if your license plate uh, ended in an odd number, you went for gas on an odd number day. And if your license plate ended in an even number, you went and purchased a rationed amount of gas on an even number day. So this is something that really affects everyone. The day in in and of itself, Thursday, was certainly strange. Uh, but if you're you know of a certain age or older, it's not completely uncommon. Greg brought it up. We've had labor stoppages. We've had strikes. We've even we've even had as fans lockouts. You know. That said, there's a whole generation out there who doesn't or, or never has experienced uh, labor strikes. In, in our sports. I think the last one was hockey in the early 2000s. Uh, other than that, you know, it, it's been a pretty smooth ride for the last 20 years. But if you remember 81 strike and, and you know, uh, what happened around 94, uh, not just in baseball, but in all leagues, they've all gone through it, just not lately. So it, it kind of like I say, it realigns our priorities sometimes. Uh, you know, and as far as being alone, some things take precedent. You know, I, I'm okay for as long as we're all in this together. Uh, it's And I say that because, obviously, MLB has been shown the 1986 games, the Mets versus the Astros. And, and, the, and, and, you know, I still have a hard time connecting with that only because I wasn't here. Uh, so every time, every, and I do mean every time, it's it's strange to me. And this is a strange time that we're going through. We're going through it together. So at least I feel like I'm in good company. And, uh, you know, let's just cross our fingers and hope for the best, Rich. Uh, but I'll reiterate, busy hands are happy hands. Use the, t- use the time constructively. My life hasn't really changed. Um, you know, my name is on those on that list of essential people that need to be out there. So, uh, you know, I still have structure in my day. I'm still leaving the house every day and coming home. Uh, the only thing different is my wife is home when I get here because <laughs> she's working from home. And uh, my son's on lockdown as well. So, uh, you know, I've been filling the time on YouTube listening to old games as well, you know, uh, like games from the 30s and 40s. Uh, I said to... Sam, a couple of days ago, I listened to the 1934 All-Star game and listened to Babe Ruth to taking a bat. You know, that was a lot of fun. So I'm doing things like that, catching up on scrapbooks. Uh, and and taking back my man cave, actually, now that I look around. I really, uh, I, need, I need to do some straightening up around here, Rich. Take it away. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I think that's what we're all doing. You know, I I haven't watched a lot of the old games. I I just for some reason I, I've never been able to get into that. Um, you know, the '86 season. I was here. I lived it. Mike, I, I could see in your case because you were you know in the service. For those who don't know, and Mike was stationed overseas at that time. So certainly those games would be, I, I would imagine, interesting for you to dial into. Um, but I found other ways you know to fill the time. And uh, but I'm really. I'm kind of like just sitting here, you know, drumming my fingers on the table, waiting for baseball to start. And, and we just don't know when that's going to happen. Um, 
so moving to something on the field, let's let's talk about something on the field. Of course, there is no such thing at the moment, but where I'm going with this, Mike, I'll start with you, is this week it was announced that uh, Noah Syndergaard would need Tommy John surgery and be out until at the earliest, you know, May, I think, of 2021 and probably more likely, you know, the summer of 2021. So my question to you, Mike, is does that – surprise you in any way i mean what did you what did you think when you heard that news you're like oh my god where's that coming from or is did you take it more from the perspective of it's like saying hello now every pitcher has tommy john what exactly how did that land on you and what and maybe more importantly what do you think the ramifications are for the mets let's assume the 2020 season does get going um how big of a gap do you think noah will leave Oh, oh boy, that's that's a couple of questions there. Uh, did it surprise me as a baseball fan? No, it did not. Uh, that's the lay of the land now. Uh, you know, there's a reason why lifting weights and working out as they do today used to be considered taboo. Uh, you need flex, flexibility, elasticity as a pitcher. Uh, you know, and, and these workout regiments, uh, you know, all year long. Uh, to me, it's folly. Uh, they really need to give their bodies a rest. So in a baseball sense, no, it didn't surprise me. In, in a Metsian sense, uh, I, I didn't want to – at no time did I say, oh, same old Mets, oh, here we go again. I, I didn't think that, but in a Thor-specific manner, I was like, oh, I knew – I think it's safe to say we all knew this was going to happen at some point just because he's so damn thick-headed about how he goes about his conditioning, or at least that's my opinion. Uh, I think the damage was already done two years ago, and, you know, it's just manifesting itself now. Look, we're in March, okay, so the damage was already there in place. How long? We don't know. Uh, to what extent? We don't know. But if he's faced with Tommy John surgery, well, you know, obviously that's an optional thing, and that's on them, and I don't tell people uh, what to do with their with their bodies, but if you're going to do it, do it quickly and, you know, be ready to go. Uh, there was another part to that question, Rich. What was the last part? So how do you think the Mets will fill the void in the rotation? Do you think it's going to be an enormous impact? You're thinking more or less, well, that's why they got Porcello and Waka. They'll be okay. Where's your head with that? Well, they got Porcello. They got Waka. Uh, they got Seth Lugo, who wants to be a starter. So the depth is there. Now we can have a different discussion as to as to the quality of depth. But the depth is there. They they'll be able to take this punch. Uh how well, you know, can they take it into the later rounds? That remains to be seen if in fact there is a season to be had. But uh, you know, initially they'll be okay. It's the long haul that I'm more concerned with. Uh and I'm more concerned with Waka, his health than I am per se with uh Porcello, and which way they decide to utilize Seth Lugo. Uh, as far as AAA, there's nothing there, man. We already traded away some of our best pitching pitching prospects, uh, Anthony Kay, uh, Justin Dunn, you know, just to name two. Yeah, so could be. Well, I don't see how you can lose an Noah Syndergaard and not have a gap, right? The question is, do you have the depth? And, and like you said, Mike, they don't have a lot of minor league depth, so they're going to have to try to fill that depth on the major league side. Um, so, Greg, I'll go to you on this question. Um, 
how, when you heard about Noah Syndergaard, I mean, I suppose there are different ways to that some people were like, geez, there's a pandemic, there's not even spring training, and the Mets are in the news for another injury. I mean, it was like that black cloud thing. Was that your reaction, or, or how did you feel about it? And, and maybe the second part of the question, of course, would be how do you think the Mets will, will be going forward? Yeah, I have to say that I think Noah Syndergaard going for Tommy John surgery on the eve of any other season would have seemed like the world has come to a halt, but the world already came to a halt. So all I can do is was wish the young man some good luck. Um, sure he's in capable hands, had the surgery already. And I know the rehabilitation uh, that based on, on what we've witnessed with other pitchers is going to be long and frustrating uh, for a professional athlete who wants to get right out there and compete again. But I, I hope he, he listens to uh, doctor's orders, takes it easy and ramps up. And like the rest of us is back in 2021, uh, it didn't strike me as a particularly Metsian thing just because it, we, we've seen other all-star pitchers go in for Tommy John surgery recently. So, you know, yeah, Noah no, Syndergaard uh, does not not have the most fluid of deliveries and does push himself to, to extremes. Uh, I don't want to say that, yeah, it was just a matter of time, but it turned out to be just a matter of time. You know, the funny thing to me is early in the exhibition game schedule, I think it was after his first appearance, like he'd thrown one, maybe two, but it hasn't been one because they don't let them go more than one early on, I don't think. Whatever it was, he'd thrown a good inning or two. And I remember one of the beat writers, I, again, I don't, I don't remember who, maybe it wasn't a beat writer, but it was somebody who follows the team pretty closely saying, I don't know, Syndergaard is a, you know, has turned a corner, figured it out, gotten whatever it was behind him from last year. It's like, wow, that's a that's a lot to assume from one outing in February. But um, you know, we we were on target. We thought to uh, Noah Syndergaard uh, pitching in rotation behind Jacob Degrom, and it just goes to show the silliness of of early lead times <laughs> when you're uh, making predictions about a season, uh, let alone a season that that has not yet come to pass. Um, you know, as far as what we're going to do with that to-be-determined date of when we need five starting pitchers as opposed to none, you know, we got five starting pitchers. Uh, how good they can be is all, again, to be determined. What kind of depth we have is also to be determined between the kind of quadruple-A talent we project to have at Syracuse and what little there is coming up uh, from the double-A coming up toward AAA level, and I guess that would mostly be David Peterson uh, at the moment. So, it's, it's, honestly, it's, it's hard for me to really envision what a, a Mets rotation looks like besides the names we know because it's just so hard to envision anything about the 2020 season. All I can do is, you know, to join all Mets fans in wishing Noah Syndergaard, who's, who's given a lot to this team, uh, a successful recovery, and, and hope we can all get together in the first-person plural, and, you know, we will be rooting for Noah Syndergaard uh, when, when next he's able to be on the mound for the Mets, uh, you know, in 2021. So, thank you, Greg. And we have a caller uh, on the line. Caller, please uh, let us know who you are and, and what do you want to share with the Metsian podcast? Hi, I'm Max, 
I'm um, of the youth, as they say. I I wanted to talk about, um, well, I went to spring training, and I, I have to say that I think that this, like, young core, like I heard um, Steve Gelbs talking about them, like, I feel like a lot of teams, like, they have, like, middle-aged players, like, you know, 30 is about to be free agents. You know, we don't know what's going on. But we have so many guys, so many guys who are, who are so nice, and and they have such a strong bond together, like, and they have so much time with this team. And I think, you know, if there's any, like, silver lining that, we won't be playing, we potentially might not be playing the game in 2020, is that, we, you know, this team is a strong team. This team is, you know, there's no free, there's a huge free agents upcoming that, that we should really be worried about because all these guys are, like, young and they're friends and they're strong and they're powerful and they're, and they're good leaders. And I really, I really think that, um, and I think this, you know, coronavirus will help people. You know, I've gotten more sleep, <laughs> definitely. Um, I think people are, uh, you know, really uh, relaxing more. People are, you know, focusing on their, their health and themselves, and um, and people, you know, are enjoying life. Um, I have to say, when I met Peter Alonso, he was, nicest person ever like you know I met him last year too at spring training he was like you know no one wanted to talk to him and I was like hi Peter Peter Alonzo and he was like oh hey like and then I said like what's the key to hitting and he said like you always have to want it more than the other pitcher you always have to like think what he's going to throw and think you know you really have to want it more and you know, whenever he was in a big moment in 2019, I was like, please want it more right now. And, you know, he executed most of the time, and I told him this, and he was so happy to hear it, and I really think he's a good player. So, anyway. I'm sorry, Max. Have you called before, by the way? I have. (laughs) I remember you. I remember you said you were going to spring training. I think you called our show back in February, or early February or January, and you said you were going to go to spring yeah, training. Yeah, no, it, it was, it was a, at least two months ago. Yeah. Right. I follow Sam on Twitter. Okay. All right. Um, so, all right, so interesting point, though, that, that Max brings up, you know, and I'll throw it out, Greg or, or Mike, um, you just jump in as you may. But what, I'm going to take a, a little bit of a tangent on what Max said, which is, the young core, you know, the cookie core, right? The guys get insomnia cookies. Dominic Smith, Pete Alonzo, J.D. Davis, Jeff McNeil, I believe, is part of that as well. Um, when you think about, well, let's do doomsday scenario, and there is no 2020 season. This young core only has so much time together. Eventually, you know, you look at the Dodgers infield. Eventually, you know, Ron Say went to the Cubs, right? These guys don't stay together forever. So let's, let's think about that aspect of it. Let's think about this window the Mets have. Um, with this great young core and the pitching as it is, of course, you know, with Noah accepted, um, do you guys feel that, you know, this is maybe coming at exactly the wrong time for the Mets if we're allowed to think in such terms? Obviously, this is a a global pandemic, but um, 
Do you think this could hit the Mets even harder because of their young core and losing a season where this young core, you know, one of a precious few seasons where this young core would be together? Just Mike or Greg, just just jump on that. Well, it's it's hard to tell. Uh, it's hard to tell that our young core versus anybody else's core is going to benefit more, suffer less. Uh, you know, we, we like watching these guys. We like experiencing these guys. I think last year, the the cookie club, if you will, uh, was almost unprecedented in Mets history for being kind of the, the heart of the club. I mean, at that stage of their careers, nobody, you know, among them with more than a few years of experience, all of them well under 30, all of them exuberant and feeding off of each other. And, you know, along with Jacob deGrom, obviously kind of defining what this team is. And it was just so much fun to see them come together. And uh, they were what I was looking forward to most uh, this year. Uh, Service time and and all of those issues will play a role in how long we get to see them. Decisions by the front office and whoever eventually owns the team, another one of those things that is now um, as much up in the air, if not more than than it had been, will determine the desire to commit to them. Uh, Their track record or perhaps lack of track record will have an influence. Think about how the Mets have not signed Noah Syndergaard to a long-term contract and how at various times that's looked pretty smart and it's looked very unfortunate. You just don't know. Uh, But I can't speak for, you know, whether there's, there's some other team out there in an alternate reality that was going to have the season of its life uh, that was going to have six career years among them. And I can't say for sure that, you know, Pete Alonzo wasn't going to, God forbid, get hit on the wrist by Max Scherzer in the, in the first inning uh, this past Thursday and would have been out for two months. So there's 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 no telling. Um, all we can do is, is hope that everybody comes back in good shape. Uh, you know, you, you could argue, and again, I haven't really thought in these terms because it, it doesn't seem worth it. But, you know, there, there is the, and I, I won't use blessing in disguise because I, I think that's an exaggeration of what we're going through here. But, you know, if there's going to be sort of fallout or a incidental effect of all this is that, you know, Michael Conforto gets to heal his oblique. Yoan Cespedes, whatever it is he's doing, is is getting healthy, perhaps, hopefully. Uh, hey, for all we know, Jed Lowry is, is finding, <laughs> is, is able to touch his toes again. And all these guys will be back whenever the, the baseball is back. So... I, I understand the, the caller's, you know, concern and, and certainly the, the, the question uh, that you pose, Rich. But, um, you know, I, I, I hate to be a cliched about this, but it remains to be seen, and we'll see. Fair enough. Mike, your thoughts on, um, on a potential interruption of a season where the Mets finally have that nice, young, great core everybody's in love with, and they're also very good players. Your thoughts on on maybe taking a season away from these guys where they, uh, you know, these seasons, of course, when they're together are finite. There's definitely something to be said for, you know, time being taken away from them. You know, this is probably going to go down as, 
a season loss, whichever way, whichever tournament they 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 devise for the end of season wrap up, you know, I I, I don't know. I do know that you know these homegrown teams are, are are a lot of fun. Fans love it. At the same time, youth is fleeting. Uh, just ask Jacob Degrom. So that said, it's up to a given ownership to be in a position to seize the moment. And that's why, you know, with what's happening now, uh, what does this do to the situation where, you know, A sells team to B? Uh, The quicker we get that resolved, hopefully the quicker, you know, a better ownership group can seize the moment and take advantage of these prime years of our beloved Mets. How's that? Well, that that's interesting. I mean, I, I didn't even think in those terms until you just said it, but it points to the reason to have this ownership thing resolved quickly because, you know, it might be time to lock up some of these guys. And, you know, we know that the current ownership, uh, whether it's because of financial constraints or whatever the reason might be, you know, I don't think we trust them to do that. That's a very interesting angle. So, gentlemen, I'm going to pivot here. Uh, and by the way, we are about 40 minutes in. You're listening to the Metzian podcast with Sam Rich and Mike and our special guest author, Greg Prince, this evening. So I'm going to pivot here and, and talk about something else. And Mike, I'm going to go to you first. This is going to be a bit of a packed question, like multiple parts to it. But, I, um, but, but let's have some fun with it. So assuming there is a season, we've seen a scenario thrown out there by Major League Baseball and the players, which whenever I talk to anybody about this, I say it's a remarkable these two forces that had been at odds for so long agreed on this so quickly. It's interesting. But anyway, um, we've seen a proposal out there that if things go the way the CDC says they may, maybe we could get some, some form of spring training in early to mid-May and start the season around early June-ish. Okay. Now, the proposals that are out there, roughly 140 games. And you're saying to yourself, well, that's only three months. That's not, you know, can't really do that. Okay, but here's the counterproposal. The proposal is play the regular season through October, so now it's four months, and have at least one double header per week to add a couple more games in and go with 30-man rosters for obvious reasons because you're going to be taxing these guys. So, Mike, um, and then, oh, let's not forget the fun part. The fun part is, play the postseason in November, and if weather is an issue, you know, games in New York, games in uh, Boston, go to neutral sites if weather is going to be an issue. So that's a lot. There's a lot in this question, you know, about playing 140 games in four months, double headers, 30-man rosters, a weird postseason where you could be having your Thanksgiving turkey saying, oh, let's finish now. We have to watch Game 7 of the World Series. Unprecedented kind of stuff. Mike, your thoughts on all that? Wow. Everyone's going to have to compromise. The league, owners, fans, networks. Uh, so whatever we come up with, you know, I, I think we're all just going to have to jump on board and, and, and ride with it. Uh, because in, in, in any scenario, this is a compromise season. Uh, haste makes waste, you know. Maybe the number doesn't need to be as high as 140 games. Uh, the only thing that bothers me about double headers is is spacing. 
how much time off are you going to give these guys? Uh, I think right now uh, they're entitled to a day off after 21 consecutive days played. You know, so that obviously needs to be altered. Uh, you know, because if you don't now, you're compromising players and, and their and their safety and their their health and whatnot. Uh, just you know, expand the rosters. I'm all for it. There's a clear necessity, obviously. Uh, you can't overtax these guys. So uh, I'm okay, you know, uh, playoff games in November. Uh, I, I'm not crazy about that. But, again, we're in a situation where we all have to compromise and come up with some kind of solution. Uh, neutral sites, we may not have a choice. We may not have a choice. So uh, in deciding where these neutral sites might be, uh, be creative. Be creative. Uh, and what else? You know, uh, potentially extending this into so it, it's all it's all new. It's all new. So, you know, I'm not gonna shake my pom poms at one suggestion and rile against another. Uh, we're all just gonna have to adapt and and overcome. Uh, just you know, just don't try to do too much. Make it make it work. Well, I'm open to I'm open to these suggestions. Just make it work, and please revisit these alterations with any further alterations heading into the 2022 season. Uh, I don't want to see a lot of carryover. I want to treat this situation as a as a one-time incident that we're having to amend along the way. Uh, I don't want to see long-term changes to the game in our postseason just because we're doing it this year. That's my main concern. Greg, how does this sound? Honey, can you pass the cranberry sauce and the stuffing to go with my turkey? Um, oh, let's not watch the Detroit Lions today on Thanksgiving Day. Let's watch the World Series. Greg, how does that sound to you, among all the other changes? Oh, what, well, what, what we need is baseball 365, and in this case 366 days a year, so sure, in, in theory. Um, you know, it's funny, I've written a few times over the years about as much as we miss baseball when it goes away, and sort of that's usually, you know, by the beginning of October, um, how odd it would be if it just kept going. And I've, I've used the phrase Thanksgiving Day doubleheader, never dreaming that it was something that could be uh, actual uh, reality. Um, you know, I, I question... Again, I'm all for for talking through it and the uh, the main parties getting together and then putting together contingencies. God knows we'd be a better off as a society if people had taken their contingencies more seriously in the last few months. But um, you know, the thing I keep coming back to with baseball and any sports that it's hard to see it just kind of dropping back in with what we're used to when we we will have spent months staying away from each other and being told to stay away from each other. So are, are you really going to open the gates and expect tens of thousands of people to file into ballparks? Uh, will people want to do that? Will they limit, you know, how many people? Does it just become a, a studio situation, which I guess is what they were talking about in the early stages of this when they were saying, well, you know, maybe they, uh, you know, some of the affected teams could just stay in spring training and play in front of, you know, no crowds. Uh, so it's, it's just hard. You know, this, this doesn't strike me as 
you know, again, going back to 1995 when we came out of the strike. And, okay, everybody, we just start over. Even coming out of, you know, the, the, the one week where there was no baseball after 9-11 and you kind of had to get past your, perhaps, your nervousness or what were worse uh, of all being in one place or, or any of these types of, of interruptions. This is unprecedented. So it's hard for me to fathom how we have a place and plan, excuse me, have a plan in place and then just say, okay, you know, it's July 17th or, or whatever. Let's start playing games. Let's play a couple of double headers a week and uh, let's, you know, have a normal baseball season as best we can. And then, you know, let's make adjustments on the fly. I, I, hope, I hope we have baseball and that everybody is in good shape, including the players, not just from a, the usual, well, they haven't played competitive baseball games in what will by then be nine, ten months, you know, a second spring training notwithstanding. But, you know, we know this is what we're going through here with this virus is not something that asks anybody's profession. We can't assume that everybody out there uh, will not be affected by this in one way or another. So not, not to get too, too deep or, or be too morbid about it. But, uh, you know, again, on, on paper, is, is it intriguing uh, what you're talking about and what, what they've, they've put forth? Yeah. Um, what it bodes for, you know, this being kind of a, a pilot program for, you know, Rob Manfred and the people he reports to deciding, you know, we, we can make a Super Bowl week out of this if we have the World Series every year, you know, rotating among three or four dome stadiums and warm weather sites. Uh, well, I'd hate to think it would come to that but you never know. I, I guess the one thing, and again, this is getting way ahead of ourselves, but the one thing I would kind of hope if anything like this comes to pass, that when we get to the World Series, we don't really call it the World Series, that they give it another name, you know, the World Series Tournament. If, if you look in, in the NFL records for 1982 when they only played nine games because of a midseason strike, they refer to the play, Again, the playoffs don't look like the playoffs, from every other year, they threw eight teams from each conference in. And I think they called it like a playoff tournament or something like that because there were no divisions, uh, no division champions that year, at least in, in the way that they set up the playoffs. So, again, this is getting way, way ahead of it. But I, if, it, if it's not going to be an actual baseball season, I'm all for them playing baseball. I'm all for tuning in. I'll, I'll tune in on Thanksgiving. I'll tune in on Christmas. I'll tune in on New Year's Eve, which would be the greatest birthday present I can imagine. <laughs> but, um, you know, it, it's probably going to feel very bizarre one way or another. But, uh, you know, these are bizarre times. So it, it will be interesting, to say the least. And, you know, we, we should be faced with this. You know, I won't call it a problem. We should be faced with this challenge of figuring out how baseball is going to get to get back. But that, that should be the least of our troubles. Well, you know, you brought up something, Greg, that, that I've spoken to with family because I'm a partial season ticket holder. I believe you are as well. And, Mike, you go to games as well. Um, and, and as much as I don't like talking about the virus, I feel like we have to for one question here. So let's just say, um, you know, the, the curve is flattened and you know, the number of new cases is really, really down in mid-May, like the CDC that I'm seeing says it will be. And they do some spring training, okay, fine, and all that. Now, I've heard two things, right? I've heard that give it that the New York teams, so this is obviously the, the hub of it, 
and maybe you know San Francisco area, you know California to rest of California to a lesser degree. Have those teams not play any home games for the first couple of weeks to give it even more time in those markets? So I'd ask you what you think of that. And then a second question would be, and I think this is a, this is a poignant one. Um, so let's just say, you know, it's June 15th, and that's, I'm not sure if the Mets are home that day or what day of the week that is. I don't have a schedule in front of me. Let's just say it's June 15th, and the Mets are, are playing their first home game, whether it's the first game or the first home game. How excited are you to go? You a little nervous? Uh, Mike, uh, why don't you take that one first? Rich, we only get one chance to do this right. And I hope people keep their priorities in order. That might be too soon. I, I look. I already think we're two months behind, you know, and that we're still we still have more to face with this dilemma. Uh, I do believe that's too soon. Look, we've come this far. We've done this much. We've hit the pause button. We've accomplished this. Let us not stop now. Uh, Put yourselves on hold, people. Patience is key here, you know. And I'm not getting off into a, a diatribe on capitalism, but if we've gone this far, we can hold on. One chance to get this done correctly. You know, if we want to do this half-ass and get it wrong, well, we can do that over and over and over again. And then what? So that's where I am, Rich. You know, you only get one chance to do it right. We've already sacrificed this much. I see no reason to stop until we have uh, great security of mind that we can go forward as normally as we can. Uh, But to push just because we're a little antsy, well, again, haste makes waste. Well said, Mike. Amen. Greg, two, same two questions to you. How would you feel, do you think it's wise or do you think it's kind of silly to say, okay, let's get going here, but because New York was the hot spot, Mets and Yankees, you know, Dodgers, Giants, Angels, A's, no home games, you know, you play the first three weeks on the road just to be on the safe side. What do you think of that? And then secondly, when the Mets do play their first game, and I guarantee you every ticket will be sold, not sure people will go, but every ticket will be sold. Greg, how do you feel about it? Like, are you going to say, what, you know what, life, the CDC said it's okay, I'm going to the ball game, or are you going to be a little intimidated? What are your thoughts, Greg? Honestly, I don't know. Um, I don't know what, what, you know, whenever that date is. And my gut tells me that middle of June seems too soon, but you know, putting putting my gut aside, which which is always difficult. Um, you know, I I don't know that again after being, you know, told for months, you know, be careful, don't come into contact with people, uh, that I'm going to want to sit in the stadium with people, uh, even with Mets fans. Um, I I. You know, better safe than sorry, better, you know, better to have caution than throw it to the wind and all of that. Um, you know, listen, if, if they somehow came up with a uh, a plan that said, well, you know, the, the Mets playing somewhere else would be better for a, for three weeks, you know, fine. But 
you know that right now, you know, what, what Seattle was, was the first team that was going to, you know, not play in Seattle because the governor of Washington was saying we can't have gatherings in California and in New York. Sadly, caught up, and now we're we're seeing it. And you know, we 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 made joke to our hearts content about uh, the Marlins not drawing anybody, but we're seeing Miami being affected, Florida, which includes Tampa Bay, being affected. We'll you know see it in Chicago and Detroit. So I I don't know that it's you know there are going to be places where you can just kind of pick and choose because wherever there's people, this is going to be a factor. So, you know, if you gave, you know, the all clear, the, uh, you know, the, the Dr. Fauci coming out and saying, hey, listen, we're good. Go, go back to your lives somehow. You know, that's one thing. But um, it's, it's just so hard for me to envision right now. So this, it, it's not the typical off season where you, you know, like um, Pavlov's dogs, you ring the bell up saying, you know, tickets available now and you want to jump at it. And, oh, boy, I can't wait to be out there on to whatever the date is. Uh, and, you know, you're talking to somebody who, you know, ran back to Shea Stadium as an 18-year-old after the strike of 81, who ran back to Shea Stadium as a 32-year-old in 1995, as soon as I could. Sorry, 32 then? Yeah. <laughs> who ran, ran back the, uh, the that Friday uh, once they started playing after, after uh, the week after 9-11. So, you know, you, you have a hard time keeping me away generally speaking. Uh, here you might not have that hard a time. Food for thought. And I think a lot of people are thinking the same thing. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. How's this ahead, food for thought? What do you do about the trade deadline? And doesn't what goes for MLB go for minor leagues as well? You're going to have to extend their seasons. Yeah, I think that that would be something you'd have to move it from July 31st for sure because you're playing through October. You wouldn't have any idea, you know, six weeks into the season. If you're a contender, you're going to be a seller or a buyer. I think that's a good point. Actually, one little thing as I was researching for the show, I, I was looking at that um, that agreement between the Player Association and baseball that, that was signed Friday, and I saw one thing that I, I did not know, that all transactions are frozen at this point. Now, that's probably not a big deal. You know, you're not, you're not going to see a lot of moves, a lot of trades going on right now. But in case anybody wasn't aware of that, part of that agreement was to freeze all transactions until they agree to uh, to, to lift the moratorium. So just thought I'd throw that out there. Um, all right. So, gentlemen, um, I'd like to get to one more topic here before we get to our number and then our last word. And another question that's going to be a multiple-part one, and, Greg, I'll start with you. So this week we saw a couple things. Um, from a Mets perspective, Pete Alonzo made some video calls to uh, some healthcare, uh, one in particular, one healthcare provider that I saw. But it's a very nice gesture by Pete to, um, you know, get on Skype with someone and just say thank you for being a healthcare provider, you know, and, and putting yourself at risk to take care of others and all of that. So um, great thing there. And also Major League Baseball donated uh, uniforms and other equipment that could be used to make gowns for healthcare providers, and I believe masks as well. So very nice gesture there. Um, I'd like to get your comment on that, Greg, and then and Mike, of course, go to Greg first. And then secondly, I'd like to ask you to be a bit creative here for me. Um, I've heard that an idea floated that if we get going again in 2020, that uh, each team should have a healthcare provider, doctor, nurse, whoever it is, 
throw out the first pitch and let everybody give those people a, a rousing standing ovation, or I would be the first one to do it. Um, so I'd like to know what you think of that. And maybe you have another idea. You know, when baseball gets going again, is there a way that baseball could and perhaps should do something for these folks who have been absolute heroes? Is it free tickets for a season? Is it, uh, fam- you know, give them at least one game with their families in a suite? I don't know. Greg, where are you with what's been done and what you'd like to see done should the season get going? Uh, well, first off, uh, you know, all those people who are, you know, doing more than just staying home because, you know, the rest of us are being told to stay home, uh, they are absolutely amazing. Uh, no pun intended on a Mets podcast. And uh, my heart goes out to them. My thanks goes out to them. And, uh, you know, anything MLB and Pete Alonso and everybody else can do to acknowledge them, to be of some help, uh, is welcome. Uh, we, we should only be so lucky to, to reach that point after, you know, to have an after to this and be able to, to think about those things. And, you know, you, you, want, to, you want to give them uh, tickets? Uh, you want to have them throw out the first pitch? I think that, that those are all lovely gestures. Um, you know, we, we we should only get that far. Um, you know, it's uh, I th- I think we'll you know the the only thing I'm really qualified to talk about here uh, is what this says about baseball's place in this country's heart. Even if baseball isn't as popular as it used to be, uh, certainly uh, among younger people, from from uh, what we're uh, led to believe. I mean, it's, it's hard. You know, you talk about people being in a bubble politically. I mean, we're in a bubble when it comes to the Mets and baseball. To, to us, the Mets are the most popular team in the world, and baseball is the most popular sport in the world. And everything else is, is kind of for when there is no baseball. But it, it is, you know, it was kind of heartwarming to see from the angle that, that we sit at to watch Pete Alonso make that video and, and see the – you know, the doctors and nurses respond to it as they did to see there was a, uh, a picture or video of, of one of them, uh, you know, had drawn in the Mets NY on, on the, uh, you know, whatever headgear they were wearing to working in the hospital on opening day because it, it meant that much to them to connect to the Mets because that's, you know, what being a fan is about and, you know, from our perspective, that's especially with being a Mets fan, being a baseball fan. You know, there is no other, you know, listen, basketball season starts, hockey season starts, football season starts, but nobody else has an opening day quite the same way. You know, n- nobody talks about, you know, this is renewal and then this is our, you know, springtime of our lives again and all of that stuff. Um, that means something, even if it's just, you know, spiritually uh, that it means something. Uh, even people who aren't baseball fans understand it. So, you know, when when we get to that point where there is baseball, uh, where there are, you know, opening days to choreograph and that sort of thing, uh, of course you would want to connect to the people who, who helped us through difficult times, uh, you know, the same way we, we, we've seen it after, you know, all, all, the, all the the tough times we've been through as a country and as a metropolitan area, and I still get choked up thinking about opening day of 2013 because that was after the winter where we had Superstorm Sandy, 
and we had these these shootings in in Sandy Hook in Connecticut, and they you know they they lined the base paths while Howie Rose uh, you know said you know made some remarks that that were quite pertinent to the moment you know about people who you know responded to those tragedies. And it just struck me on that day, it's like, you know, we made it through another winter. And when we, you know, in this area got through, like, some, some horrific things, Not sadly not everybody got through it or got through it unscathed. But, like, we all came back here uh, to baseball and to opening day and for what that means. And, you know, the fact that the Mets went out and beat the Padres and Colin Cowgill had a grand slam, that was all gravy almost. So, you know, if, if we get to that point where, where we – can, you know, gather, uh, you know, under the umbrella of baseball again, whether it's at City Field or, or somewhere else uh, in this country, um, it'll be meaningful. And it speaks well for, for what baseball means to us. And, you know, even, even though it's it's a real back burner issue right now, uh, it's it's nice knowing that it, 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 it does indeed simmer. And hopefully we can, we can turn the flame up when the time comes. Excellent. Mike? Your thoughts on Pete Alonzo, the nice gestures of Major League Baseball to donate equipment and clothing for use by our health care providers, and any thoughts you may have about how to honor these folks when and if baseball gets going? Well, I'm all for it. Honor them, let them throw out first pitches, give, give them box seats, give them the whole nine yards. Uh, you know, because what's needed in this country most of all especially in the way we do things, bureaucracy being one of them, is volunteerism. All the major leagues, all the affiliated companies, all their manufacturers, all the uniform suppliers, all these businesses and corporations just need to step up and volunteer their services for the greater good. No plea should be made. No formal request is needed. Just step up and do things. You have the means and the resources of manufacture, distribution. Put them to work for the greater good. And, you know, to me, Rich, maybe you've been sensing this about me, but, you know, lack of sports... I'm okay because, to me, this is a greater test and a whole different, and I'm not going to get into it. But volunteerism is one of the best ways to get out of this, and that means corporate volunteerism. You know, so let's let's honor and celebrate all these healthcare workers and medical professionals. Let's do that. Uh as we should with all members of our communities. You know, that's what this is all about. So in the face of bureaucracy and, you know, partisanship, volunteerism, you're a big company and you can do something, do it. And just say, here, America, there's 100,000 masks. Why? Because I can do it because I got sewing machines and I got thread and I got fabric and I got this, that, and the other. I did it because I can here. That's my message. That's where I stand, and I hope that answers your question in some 
shape, way, or form. It does, and thanks, Mike. And you know, and I, I think Major League Baseball did a nice thing. I think Pete did a great thing. I'd like to see more, quite frankly, um, in a sport that, as Greg said earlier, you know, probably could stand a bit of PR boost with society and you know, and younger people in particular. Do something nice, you know. Baseball, let's face it, they've got a lot of money. They, they really do. You know, we all know it, and. Um, Keep do even if there are fairly small gestures. Do things to help the healthcare providers. They're front and center now, and and I don't just mean healthcare, police, fire, all these folks who have to work, the grocery store clerks, um, all these folks who have to work now. I mean, I get to sit my butt at home, and I haven't been in an office in three weeks. But um, but these folks can't do that. And um, doing something nice for them on the other side of this, or right now in the middle of it. It's good PR, and it's also just the right thing to do, and I, and I hope baseball continues to do it. I, I would love to see teams say, you know what, if you're a health care provider or a, or a civil servant, you know, police, fire, whatever, ambulance driver, um, you, you could get upper deck tickets for half price all season, something like that. I mean, I don't know how you, how you can really do that, to show ID or whatever to prove who you are, but do something to give back to these folks. Um, and I really think there there will be an this will be an opportunity. It's an opportunity to show your humanity. It's an opportunity to show that um, where people think perhaps you know you're a greedy industry, to give something back. And I know that's a cliche, but this is really going to be an opportunity. And I hope that Major League Baseball steps up and, and the Mets in particular. So with that, I believe we have. I think Max has joined us. Max, we're, we're getting a little short on time, but since you've mentioned Pete Alonso. Um, and I mentioned earlier what he did, you know, with the video call and, and the donation of uh, Major League Baseball's donation of uniforms and stuff. What do you think about that, Max? I, I think, you know, he's such a great guy. He loves, you know, anyone that, you know, is really dedicated to saving people, um, dedicated to, to saving um, lives and, and, you know, helping people. He's... He's shown that with his uh, 9/11 tweets, with the um, and you know acknowledging the first responders, and he's um, you know and I can t- like I was just talking to a random guy um, <laughs> in spring training, and you know Pete Alonso had just left, and he's like, wow, what what an amazing guy, you know he he loves his team and he loves his country. He's going to be a leader for so many years. And I was just like, you know, he, he was an older man, so I was just like, you know, I thought, you know, some of the LFGM would upset some of the older people. would, But, you know, they they really, uh, I, it appears as though all the generations of Mets fans really like um, Pete. And um, I'm, just, I'm just really happy that, you know, he's stepping up as a leader. I really hope that he becomes the captain. Um, I don't, I don't know how long it's going to take, but I, I think eventually, if he racks up enough good seasons, and you know, he does his personality does not change, and he doesn't become a douche, then I, which he won't, then I think he will be the captain, and I think you know he'll be one of the greats. Um, so I actually I had a question for uh, you guys. It was one of my I had like. Two questions. One of them was uh, the the young core question, and the other one was um, management question. Uh, and and I want to talk about 
what your thoughts on three levels are. So when I when I met Luis Rojas, right, one of the things I hated about Mickey Callaway was that he would always lie. He's oh everything's fine, you know. Oh oh, it's just uh, it's just this and like oh I I I didn't you know I didn't mean to to hit the reporter and you know I I you know there was a lot of sugarcoating and like Mets fans did not have it, and I was just I said to Luis Rojas I said please do not lie to us tell the truth always and. You know, be blunt. If something's wrong, just tell us. If there's a problem, you know, with a player and his mental health, just sit down and talk with him. Like, Terry, like, you know, be a personable uh, guy. And um, and I think that's what a manager should be about. So um, I want to hear what your guys, so, and then I want to hear what your guys' thoughts on um, Luis Rojas. I want to hear what you think of Bro, uh, Brody, Brody's if the season had play, been played on his transactions in the off season, and I want to hear what you think about Rob Manfred because I hear a lot of different opinions about him, and I really don't know what to think. Like, you know, is he actually, you know, hurting the game with you know, like trying to make it shorter in quotations because it's like you know. Is it isn't it is it ruining it? Is it is three better minimum weird? You know, is he an actually like like a good commissioner? I you know I want to hear what you guys think because I hear a lot of different opinions and I you know people hate him, people don't like him, and people like him. I don't know it. What do you guys think? Three levels: manager, general manager, and commissioner. Well, I'll take the first stab, Max, and. Um... I think, obviously, Luis Rojas is an open book at this point. We don't know. I think the jury's out. Um, I'll say from the limited information we have, the players seem to respond to him, and that's clearly job one of the managers, so A-plus there. But um, his test scores are, are not – you know, he's still taking the test. We don't have a score on him yet for most other areas of where he would be evaluated. Van Wagenen's off season. You know, it wasn't spectacular. He did what he had to do. If you want to look at the pitching side, by adding Waka and Porcello, we're not going to look at Chris Flexen and Drew Gagne anymore. And for that, I, I praise I mean, the man above. I there's Corey Oswalt. I feel, I feel like well, he could have been good. Well, and Corey Oswalt's another one. I, I, I'm done with those guys. I, and I could be wrong. Maybe in five years these guys are all-stars. I don't know. But um, but I, I was done watching those guys pitch. And, and he went out and he got major league depth, and it turned out he was right to do it because of what happened to Syndergaard. And then about Manfred, um, you know, Manfred is trying to do things to increase the popularity of the game, and one of those things is, is pretty clear. You know, young people want the game shorter. Older people, too. I want the game shorter. Um, so he's trying to do things along those lines. Some things are you're going to agree with, some things you're not. And um, I think Manfred is, I think he has the best interest of the game in mind. He's throwing a lot of ideas out there and catching a lot of flack for it. But, um, you know, he's ideating, as we say, in the business world. And now that doesn't mean everything he's saying is going to go forward. It just means he's trying to press all these buttons to try to do what he, what he can to achieve the end that he he desires, which is, you know, increased popularity, particularly among younger fans. So I'll throw it to Mike and Greg on those questions. Uh, very quickly, Rojas, you know, he's he's a resume man. He's done everything possible except manage the Mets. He'll have his chance. Uh, media, 
you know, the Northeast, New York, Boston, up here, Philly, it can be tough. It's the toughest in the country. Uh, nobody is more rabid about uh, their news feed than perhaps the Northeast. Uh, so, you know, that still remains to be seen how they'll deal with that. But let me tell you, they had some pretty good consigli- uh, consigliaries at home uh, to fall back on for, for advice. Uh, he'll be fine. I, I think he's prepared. Uh, he's been through the process top to bottom. This is the only thing left for him to do. Uh, so uh, it's hard to argue uh, with Rojas as manager. BBW, if you're going to be fair, whether you disagree with his transactions or not, if you're going to be fair, he improved the team. Uh, do we have different ideas? I'm sure we all have our own ideas of what should be going on. I do believe he's still hampered by ownership, and until that changes, uh, you'll find business as usual going on at City Field. Manfred, not a fan of his. I'm in my 50s, and I no longer know the rules of baseball. I was never a fan of Bud Selig. Uh, I'd have to rewind the clock and say that the passing away of uh, Mr. Giamatti and the ousting of Faye Vincent uh, were two of the most devastating things to happen to baseball in the modern era. Ah, exclamation point. Uh, I'll echo what you guys have said. Rojas looks like a manager in the making. And we don't know what his record is going to be, which is what we will, to a certain degree, judge him on. We don't know what he's going to say after his first loss, his first win. Uh, but I get a good feeling from him. I think he's, you know, he, he's that that phrase we love to throw around. He's a baseball man or a baseball person, I should probably say. And uh, he certainly worked hard at it. And I, I get a good vibe from him. Uh, I'll say this about Brody Van Wagenen. He signed Jacob DeGrom, number 48, a little foreshadowing there, <laughs> to a long-term contract. There's nothing wrong with that as far as we can tell. And he had the gumption, the guts, whatever it was, to not get caught up in a numbers game. And he put Pete Alonso on the opening day roster last year. And that, at least in the short term, uh, changed history or certainly accelerated it in a good way. So I'm going to try to stay positive about Brody Van Wagenen's achievements and hope that the things he did in this past offseason pay off when there is a season. Manfred is an employee of the owners, and it's hard to think of him in that classic role that we all like to idealize of commissioner, best interests of baseball and all of that. I think Mike raises a fantastic point that, you know, the days of Jamadi and Vincent sadly are long behind us. And we have guys who are working for the owner, first in Bud Steelig and now in Rob Manfred. But I will say this, that what Rob Manfred is facing right now with where baseball is in light of the coronavirus in 2020 will tell us a lot. And if he brings the sport out, you know, not only strong somehow in the context of a season being postponed, half canceled, whatever winds up being, and positions it to, to move forward, uh, you know, if, if he does that, then we're, we're talking about a whole different tenure and a whole different history where this commissioner is concerned. Um, you know, I, I think you, <clears throat> just in general, somebody in that job has 
two constituencies beyond you know, the owners and the players and everything else about the business of baseball. You know, you've got fans like us who are, are in it no matter what and give or take a little tinkering around the edges. We don't really want that much changed. And then you've got the concept of reaching the people who aren't baseball fans or aren't as big a baseball fans as baseball would like and aren't spending as much money when there is disposable income on baseball as Major League Baseball would like. How do you reach them? And is, is it by completely upending the sport? Is it by making a few more tweaks along the margins? Is it by saying, you know what, we, we've got a great game. It's just a matter of marketing it better. And I, I think that is the challenge, you know, putting aside what's, what's going on in 2020. That is the challenge it faces a commissioner. And I think that will also tell us whether Rob Manfred is good for the game or not. It, it's hard for me to say after the first five or so years that he's been commissioner that he has strengthened the game. Although, although, you know, I think there are little changes that have kind of helped. I think there are little changes that – you know, once they're implemented, seem kind of ridiculous to me, but we might grow used to them. There are things talked about that I, I just want to hide my face from, like the universal DH. So, uh, you know, his is a longer term than just a year. He's already been there five years. I don't know how long his, his contract is for, but he'll be around a while. And I think we're going to have a, a greater sense after this year of what kind of commissioner he, he will go down as. Fair enough. Thank you, Greg. And all right, so you've been listening to the Metzian podcast with Sam Rich and Mike, episode number 48. And um, I mentioned at the very top that one of our co-conspirators in the podcast, Sam Maxwell, we like to call him the mastermind, the father of the podcast, all those different titles, would not be able to join us until perhaps very late in the show. And it looks like we have Sam. So, Sam, first of all, good evening. I hope you're staying well. And I believe, if I know you, you've been listening to the show to the best of your ability. Um, what might you want to throw in? You've heard a lot of Mets talk. Jump in, Sam. How are you? Well, I thought, you know, after you called me the father, I thought your next thing was going to be, Papa, can you hear me? But I, I am, I've been listening uh, just for a little, a little bit now. Um, and I, I'm guessing I've basically uh, chimed in. Uh, I think he was talking about Louis Rojas because he was talking about him being, you know, the quintessential baseball man. And, uh, you know, my optimism regarding Louis has not wavered. It's just a question of whether or not we will have a 2020. Um, You know, right now I am – I've segued from doing a lift in New Jersey to doing Postmates around town. And as somebody who uh, grew up driving in the streets of Manhattan, learned how to drive in the streets of Manhattan – it, it is – there's such a calm over the city. And, you know, I, I don't think that you would have gotten this one way or another without an act of God, which I think we can certainly say coronavirus is just that. And so, you know, it is a shame that it will ha- it had to be an act of God, and I don't think it, it again, couldn't have been anything else. But, you know, I, I, I've been watching the New York documentary – uh, just a little shameless plug for Rick Burns there. Everybody should watch that. But one of the things that it, it seems is if this place has been supercharged for 400 years, ever since the Dutch got here, and it, it kind of needed a break. Now, again, it sucks that it had to be an act. You know, at any, point in, in, uh, at any point in the day, I can catch every light, which, they, you know, they say, you know, you're going like 25 miles an hour. You can go from downtown to uptown or vice versa 
in a matter of moments because you're catching every light going 25 miles an hour. And uh, that's just been the case all day, every day recently. And, and it's, you know, as somebody who is constantly, you know, supercharged myself, it's, it's been nice to not have to worry about the, the normal traffic. And, and that's another jarring thing that's so that you don't even realize as you're going through the day-to-day grind of New York City is that it's, it's surprising to me how many people decide to drive in here on a daily basis because that, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of people who have cars, who, who stay or now, you know, who generally drive around town during the day who live in New York City, but right now, of course, they are quarantined and keeping their cars home. But whether, you know, whether it's the traffic or whether it's the parking spots, I mean, where you normally would see loads of cars, there are none. Again, whether it's on the road or whether it's on the side of the road. And it, it's, it's remarkable to me because it's just it's like, why would anybody ever drive into this town? And, you know, now we're seeing how many people actually do so, that, that the majority of the traffic is just that. So it's, it, it's, a, it's a fascinating time. It's obviously it's, it's a bittersweet thing because you know that people are dying and you know people are getting sick. But at the same time, seeing New York like this, it, it's, it, it, there's something that, that is appropriate, that, that it needed this calm down after 400 supercharged years. Interesting. Um, and I, I saw some pictures, and you know, I've never – in my lifetime, I never thought I'd see Times Square look like that. And even on the worst of days, right, weather-wise or whatever, it, there's just no cars. There's, like you said, there's no, no, there are no cars parked along the side of the street. There's no traffic at the lights. It's just unbelievable. Um, so, and I'm glad, Sam, that you're able to join us and give yourself a bit of a distraction from everything going on. We hope that we've been able to provide such for our listeners over the past what is coming up on an hour and a half. So we'll turn to our very last feature for the evening. We like to do a a segment where we correspond Mets uniform numbers to the number of the podcast. So this is number 48, excluding specials. So we will take a look at Mets who have worn number 48. And, Sam, because uh, you've missed most of the show, I'm going to go to you first. I'm going to read you a few names here, not all of them. It's a pretty popular number in Mets history. So we'll start with Sam. We'll move to Mike, then we'll go to Greg last on this one. So, Sam, some some names uh, that – okay, so Nino Espinosa obviously means something to people from my generation. Uh, Nino Espinosa, Richie Hebner, they're kind of tied together, right? One was traded for the other. Mets sent Nino to the Phillies for Richie Hebner, and that's another story in and of itself. Ed Glynn, the flushing flash, grew up, as Murphy used to say, in the shadows of Shea Stadium, left-handed reliever. Randy Myers, hard-throwing, somewhat offbeat left-handed reliever uh, who was traded for John Franco. Uh, let's see, moving a little bit further through the list. Um, Don't forget so, the other Pedro. Pedro Martinez, 1996, right, right, the other Pedro, we'll call him. Glendon Rush, nice guy. I mean, um, I've tweeted him a few times, and he would tweet something. He always responds. He calls you by name. This is all fans, right? But we can't forget Glendon Rush because he gave up that hit to Jose Vizcaino oof, oof, to win game one of the World Series for the Yankees in 2000. So like Glendon Rush a lot, unfortunately, I think of that when I think of him. Aaron Heilman, I will say no more on that one. Don't dislike the man, <laughs> but we all know 
<laughs> I don't dislike him at all, but we know what happened. Greg's first book that I have, and I have all of them, but the cover is that. I mean, it, it's that. Oh, oof. So, uh, Greg, Greg, Aaron Heilman, wow. Pat Mish, he must be a nice guy. Oh, that's meant. I'm sorry. I was a joke. I apologize for that. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. Somebody laughed. Frank Francisco, he was the closer, uh, the ill-fated closer of the Mets. He used to throw chairs, and he was a Texas Ranger. And then, of course, Jacob DeGrom. So, uh, Sam, reflect, please. Anything you'd like to say? Well, certainly I'm just going to throw a shout-out to Glendon Rush. Um, you know, he, he's very interactive. I even think he follows me. Uh, I, and, and I don't mean to, like, follow name drop there, but, uh, you know, it's what, he's one of those guys that uh, likes the medium and likes the way it can connect him to, to fans of present and past. Um, so, you know, big shout-out to him and, and – I think, like, what, what Mets fans remember more is that Armando Benitez, um, you know, walked Paul O'Neill and, and eventually the game was tied. But uh, I, think that, I, I think that that's probably one of the reasons, you know, I think Armando Benitez kind of had many bad moments, even though he has some of the best save numbers in New York Mets history. It's just that piling on, you know, we still think about him with game one more than we do Glendon Rush. Uh, and hey, and I, I, I think that's I just – yeah, go can, ahead. can I jump in for half a second? It sure. wasn't – Glendon Rush did not give up the, the hit to Jose Vizcaino. It was the Turk Wendell. So I oh, want to take sorry, number 48 off the hook. God. <laughs> Well, there, there you go. I appreciate that, Greg. And, and um, you know, it, it's it, – yeah, so it's just it, – it, but, you know, he, he, it seems like people just have Glendon Rush in their good thoughts as opposed to Armando Benitez, uh, who no matter how many saves he collected uh, uh, will always draw the ire anytime his name comes up. And um, with Mish, uh, Pat Mish is the type of pitcher that he, he creates an adjective. Mishy. When, whenever a, a certain pitcher would be called up or come into the game, like, like you know, the, and you guys know exactly what I mean. It's just one of those non-names that would either spot start or, or relieve. And, um, you know, you would, <laughs> he, he would be like, oh, that, that's, that's a very Mishy performance. And it wasn't like he was terrible or, or great or, or, you know, he was just, Mishy. That's that's it. He was just very, very Pat Mishy. Um, so that's what I remember about Pat. And uh, you know, it's 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 a. I'd say Randy Myers would probably take this number if it weren't for Jacob Degrom. And regardless of what Jacob Degrom uh, goes through for the, the remainder of his career, and you know, one of the things, first things I thought about about this this time is the fact that it's it's taking away from his him padding Hall of Fame numbers. Um, you know, I, I, that's, that's what is glaring when you look at this list is like Jacob deGrom is number 48. He will always be number 48 unless, you know, somebody crazy enough trumps him. Um, I, uh, I, I'm, you know, Randy Neiman's name keeps coming up. That's something that I saw on that list too. Actually, I can, I'm not driving anymore. So let me get this right in front of me. Mel Stoudemire, he only wore it for a year, so that's certainly a name that jumped out to me. Uh, and what can you say about Aaron Heilman? What, what I do remember, a good 
thing to remember about Aaron Heilman was that he made a spot start in 2005 against the Marlins and one hit them. And my friend in Philly just, te- you know, texted me, you know, some dude one hit the Marlins. And so, you know, Aaron Heilman was always some dude as an inside joke between my, myself and my, my Philly friend. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, some dude became that bleeping guy. So... Yeah, it's unfortunate that Aaron Heilman had to be remembered that way because I remember that spot that spot start that you, that you were talking about. And Heilman was a good soldier. You know, he he was a swing man, so to speak, a you know short reliever. He was a, a middle reliever. He was spot starter, and while never spectacular, he was that working man pitcher. And then then that happened. So um, can I Mike, also can I also sorry before you go to Mike, I just noticed Frank Francisco's name is there, and uh, there's some infamous names on this list. That is for sure. Thank God for Jacob Degrom, but but Frank Francisco, it, it just seemed to be one of the have the worst attitudes that the Mets have ever had in a player, and so uh, you know he will live in infamy for sure. Oh yeah, no, Mr. Chair Thrower. Um, and, uh, all right, Mike, your thoughts on number 48? Number 48, you know, I, I look at Juan Berenguer. Uh, you know, I remember most, obviously, for winning the title with the Tigers in 84, but he, he came up with the Mets, and he reminds me of Joe McDonald, who's still churning out good minor league ball players, and he was one of them along with Jeff Reardon, you know, some who would argue who's one who got away. I wouldn't make that argument, but... Uh, you know, Mookie, Backman, and and a lot of guys, and Juan Berenguer is, is amongst those players that Joe McDonald was still churning out of the Mets minor leagues in the dark during the dark years. That's why I remember him. Otherwise, uh, you know, Randy Myers, there's another age-old debate. Are they better off with him or John Franco? I'll let you guys decide that. And uh, Jacob DeGrom, obviously, Sam brings up the greatest point. He's being cheated a time to pad these stats. You know, you look at the back of his baseball cards, started to assemble those uh, bold italics, you know, a rookie of the year, two Cy Youngs, an ERA title, a strikeout title. Uh, so, you know, it's a shame that this season is being compromised. But uh, I, I, I hope, uh, you know, 32 is the new 21, or the new 21, so to say. I hope youth is on his side and that uh, he can put together a, a, a series of uh, just outstanding years and see if he can creep into that Hall of Fame. Greg, you probably heard some names that made you smile. You probably heard some names that made you flinch. Talk to us about number 48 in Mets history. Well, well, the, well uh, just to start with, the I'm going to go out on a limb and, and guess that the, the last the most recent guy to wear 48 will be the last guy to wear 48, uh, you know, barring anything terrible happening. Uh, Jacob Drum is absolutely regal on that mound, and I can't wait to, to see him again. And he has made 48 this generation's 41. And believe me, I don't say that lightly. But before, uh, before May 15, 2014, and all the starts thereafter, uh, yeah, Randy Myers was my go-to 48. Uh, 
but I need, need to debate Myers versus Franco into perpetuity, but I really didn't want to see Randy Myers go. And he got his World Series ring within one year of leaving the Mets, and sadly John Franco never did. Uh, there's more more to their careers than that, I suppose, but he was a character and he could throw hard, and uh, he was one of my favorites in his day. The other 48 I always thought of, the other Randy, Randy Tate, One Year Wonder, 1975, which you know, was the year I was 12, so it was um, incredibly impressionable at that age. And, uh, you know, your rotation that year, Seaver, Matlack, Kuzman, Tate, uh, you know, which of these things is not like the other? But uh, Randy Tate uh, threw in a lot of hard luck. He, he came close to being Johan Santana and that he carried a no-hitter into the eighth inning. Uh, one night in 1975 uh, in August, Jim Lytle broke it up, and eventually I believe it was Gary Carter got the big hit to win the game. So Tate wound up with another loss in the year. He went 5-13. and 13. I believe he was traded to, I want to say the Red Sox the following offseason, but I may be confusing this with a, a different uh, – he different minor became a minor league trade. He never pitched again anywhere. So uh, I'll, I'll always uh, kind of fondly remember Randy Tate in that bizarre way you have uh, for players from when you were 12. Uh, Glendon Rush was just a solid fifth starter in 2000 and a valuable guy to come out of the bullpen because there were no starts for him in, in the postseason. And as, as has been uh, attested to before, a terrific baseball presence on Twitter. Uh, one guy whose name has not come up uh, here, Pete Shorek. Pete Shorek was sort of the tail end of that great period in Mets history. Really, once he came up, the, the tail was now in sight. But uh, he was was not a hard thrower, but he was going to be the next homegrown pitcher to make it big out of that factory of 80s Mets in the early 90s. And, you know, he had some moments. I believe he had one of the one-hitters. Uh, that could have changed history, although I don't think he gave up the hit very late in the game. And uh, he, he did not get along with Dallas Green is what I remember uh, for for why he was no longer with us. Later, though, he wound up uh, getting, I think he finished second to Greg Maddox in 95 for the Cy Young. So he had some moments as a pitcher, uh, just wasn't the guy for us. Pat Mish is a guy whose name I also had a lot of fun with writing headlines. I remember uh, – the first time he did anything as a Met in 2009, I believe I uh, coined the phrase mystified um, because I couldn't help it. But uh, he was actually a pretty valuable left-hander. The thing I remember about Pat Mish is that when Oliver Perez imploded on the final day of the 2010 season and Jerry Manuel had no choice but to finally take him out in extra innings in about the uh, what felt like the 83rd inning, of a uh, you, you want baseball in November. That's what it felt like uh, that October fourth or October third. Pat Mish came in and cleaned up what was left of Oliver Perez's mess and uh, was the last pitcher of the Jerry Manuel era. And although he was wearing thirty one when I fell in love with him, I, I will end here with Julio Machado, who you know took on forty eight after John Franco came along. He was the iguana man who uh, supposedly uh, ate the head off an iguana or something crazy. Uh, in South America, I, I fell in love with him because like, his first pitch in the big leagues was a brushback pitch <laughs> against the Cardinals uh, down the stretch in 89. I want to say, It was either Tom Pagnazzi or Todd Zeal, rookie catcher Todd Zeal for the Cardinals. I'm like, this is what we need more of. We need more Julio Machado, I would tell anybody who would listen. And unfortunately, he, he'd be gone uh, soon enough. And I think he wound up, uh, not, not to make light of it, but I think he wound up murdering this guy in South America and went to jail. And uh, again, I shouldn't laugh, but there's just something 
bizarrely uh, net release pitching uh, about that. And uh, and as my TS, yeah, Aaron Heilman on the cover of Faith and Fear and Flushing, giving up the home run to Molina as sort of the uh, the fear segment. Uh, Gary Carter and Ray Knight are embracing also. Nobody ever brings that up to me. Nobody ever says, you know, I love that picture of the Mets winning the World Series on your book. They always say, God, why did you have to put Aaron Heilman and Yadier Molina there? Uh, it wasn't my decision for, for the record. I think, I think it, uh, it represents half of the Mets fan equation. Okay, though. And, uh, you know, he was a good soldier, as, as uh, you said. Uh, parts of six seasons, came up as a, a starter. Didn't really last as a starter, but as has been mentioned, that one hitter. We were talking about a lot of one hitters and then near no hitters in number 40 of history. You know, Jacob DeGrom had a one hitter. Uh, maybe he'll be, the, he'll be the second one hitter, excuse me, second no hitter uh, in, in Mets history down the road. And yeah, let me uh, punctuate with that Gwyn, the Flushing Flash. You can't say enough about the Flushing Flash, you know, the hot dog vendor from Shea Stadium uh, becoming a release pitcher uh, for the New York Mets and just one of those guys like Nino Espinosa, whose name you just sort of latch on to uh, from a certain age. So 48 was kind of a very all other, we're getting tired of counting the numbers type of number, you know, once you got past 45, say, or 47 even. But Jacob deGrom has changed all that. And, uh, you know, my my final thought on Jacob deGrom in, in this context is when I have to put something in the microwave for maybe more than 45 seconds and less than a minute for a few years, I would, I would use number 52. The 52 seconds for Ioannis Espinosa. Uh, last few years, I've been using 48 for Jacob Degrom. So uh, he heats everything up uh, that doesn't need a whole lot of heating, and uh, he he gets hot on his own. So uh, thank you, Jacob Degrom, for making 48 uh, one of the great numbers in Mets history. And uh, may I live long enough uh, to to see it rise uh, up up in the uh, the left field uh, rafters at City Field or wherever the Mets are playing after a while. Well done, Greg. Thank you. Gentlemen, we have reached the end of episode number 48 of the Metzian Podcast with Sam Rich and Mike. Um, before we go to our last word, I'd like to take a moment and thank our special guest, whose voice you just heard, Mr. Greg Prince. Greg, thank you for joining us. And if you'd like to tell the folks where they could find you on social media, that would be great. Uh at Greg underscore Prince on Twitter. Uh, I'm on Facebook. Faith and Fear and Flushing is on Facebook. So, uh, you know, happy to say hi. Sounds good, Greg. And, if, again, Greg mentioned earlier in the show about his books. They're fantastic reads. Faith and Fear and Flushing is as well. If you need, especially in these uh, these difficult times, some, some good reading about the Mets, please be sure to visit all Greg has to offer. So, gentlemen, we're going to do our last word. Um, So the order we're going to do, we'll go to Mike first. We'll go to Greg second. And, Sam, because, you know, you unfortunately couldn't join us so very late in the show, we'll let you bring it home with your last word. So, Mike, on March 29th, a very weird Paul has, has basically overtaken our entire country. Um, no baseball. So, Mike, with all this that's going on and everything we just talked about, sir, what is your last word tonight? Keep a journal. we got time on our hands. We're home for the most part. Keep a journal. When this is all said and done, just tuck it away. Revisit it in 10 years. We'll see what you said. Try it. I like it. I like it a lot. Something to tell your kids or grandkids or whatever the case may be about. Um, Greg, 
What is your last word on this very odd March 29th? Uh, keep a thought in mind for the people who would be working at City Field right now who aren't. Uh, you know, whether it's security, and God, God knows I can't say I'm going through security city field, but uh, that's probably because of uh, systems that are put in place by others. Uh, for the for the stadium personnel, for the ushers, for the people who, who sell things behind the concession stands, uh, for the people who, uh, you know, shoot T-shirts you know, between innings into the, into the crowd. Uh, this is a tough time for them. Uh, it's a tough time for everybody. Um, but, you know, and I, I know that uh, MLB and the individual teams are, are trying to do something for, for those folks as well. But, uh, you know, it's not, it's not just the ball players who can probably handle it from a, uh, from a business standpoint, uh, you know, not, not having to go to work right now. It's everybody in, in the baseball realm. So, you know, I, I don't know, uh, you know what to say beyond, uh, you know, Think good thoughts. If you can do something uh, for when people are raising money, that's great too. Uh, hopefully, uh, you know, I, I look forward to a point where uh, there are there's nothing to think about with baseball except baseball. And uh, you know, let's get there. Amen. Sam, the CEO of our podcast. <laughs> what is your last word tonight? I'm so happy you didn't put an O in the middle of that. Um, so I have to say clarity. That's my last word, you know, going, going to what everybody's talking about is to win baseball is going to happen. I would love to sooner than later have a little bit of clarity as to when this thing's going to get kicked off. Uh, obviously it sounds like Robert Manfred is, he's having, um, uh, ambitious, you know, optim uh, uh, optimistic goal sometime in May. I don't think it, it's going to happen then. Um, and I'm, I'm hoping that by July 1st, we can have something, but you know, going, going to that, it, it's going to, it's going to be weird for whoever wins the world series because it's always going to be that world series, you know? So like, there's a part of me that doesn't necessarily want to taint it, even though there's obviously some some uh, examples of shorter seasons. I don't think anything would ever be this short, uh, this much of a turnaround to to get to the playoffs. So there is there are pros and cons to starting this thing at all. Um, as much as I want baseball, you know, there is there, there's going to be not in a, not exactly an asterisk. Actually, there could possibly be an asterisk next to whoever wins the World Series. Just saying, you know, the asterisk will be uh, virus shortened season or whatever they end up writing. Um, but I still, one way or the other, want clarity because there, there will be more of an urgency to every game. The, the, you know, as as urgent as we all know, considering you know seven games from seventeen to play, as urgent as one game can be in a 162-game season, that urgency is going to be there even more once this thing comes back, if it does indeed come back. So I would love some clarity, and, and regardless of what happens, as, as much as it's going to be a little weird, it's, it's going to be exciting. You know that, that you know, the, the, the first time everybody is able to gather, wherever that may be, is going to be, you know, momentous. And it's especially going to be momentous for us Met fans and baseball fans all around 
when we're finally looking at that bright, crystal clear green field in front of us. Yeah, and let's hope that happens in 2020, right? Um, okay, this has been a very fun – well, I'm not sure if fun's the right word, but it's been a very interesting podcast. We've talked about you know, some very serious matters. Um, and I've really enjoyed spending this time with Sam and Mike, and, of course, always a pleasure to have Greg. Greg, you're welcome here anytime, of course. So, gentlemen, the time has come to wrap this up and say we're wishing everyone please stay healthy. Please listen to the guidance in your area. If you're told to stay home, please do so. Um, I saw something you know, very, uh, very poignant on Facebook the other day that said the, the worse we are at this social distancing, the longer we're going to have to do it. Truer words have never been spoken. Let's get this right. Let's do what you're supposed to do. Let's get this thing under control so this way we can get back to our normal lives. And, and for those of us to whom it matters, and certainly the four of us on this, on this podcast speaking right now, we can get baseball back. And, um, and let's hope that happens late spring, early summer. I think that's really the best-case scenario. Gentlemen, thank you very much for spending your Sunday evening with me. Thank you to everyone listening and who will listen to the archive. Um, and, Sam, we'd like to hear your voice last year. What is the only way we know how to take out the podcast? I can't wait to be saying this with multiple people directly to the Mets. Let's go Mets. Let's, Let's go, go Mets. Mets. Take care, everybody. Thanks, Greg. Thanks, Greg. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Sam. Have a great night, everybody. Bye now. Good night, all.